Alrighty, guys. I wanted to start off today, this morning, with a little bit of review because we are about a month into our class already. And so I'm going to start off with a quick question. Did God create you to be a lone wolf? Did God create you to be just there by yourself? I'm a rock. I'm an island. To quote Simon and Garfunkel, did he create you to be a lone wolf? I don't think that per se, but sometimes I do think sometimes I am. Sometimes I feel like it, for sure. And yeah. I wonder if this wasn't God's plan. Yeah. But as far as, I'm uh, not talking about... Uh, single in a sense of marriage but did god create you to be alone solitary by yourself no friends no relationships okay y'all can see this is an easy question right the answer is clearly no you coming in come on in man yeah, not yeah not like that what was the only thing not good about creation before the curse of sin It was not good that man was alone. Right. Yeah, it was not good. Now Adam. Nowadays it would make a difference. Jesus, I'm going to have to cut this out because I know that Letty's going to hear this and she knows that you. She knows that's your voice. Cut it out. <laughs> you know, which, by the way, I know it's look across the hall. There's about twice as many women in there as there are men in here. So you know, you and I, I tell you, every week I lose a bet with Essie about who's going to have more people in their class. I'm kidding. <laughs> Adam was alone. Specifically, there wasn't a suitable helper for him. That's the word that kind of translates there. It's something like a, a corresponding helper that kind of roughly translates that Hebrew phrase there in Genesis 2, verse 20. Guys, the bottom line is you and I and every other human, we were created for relationship, for partnership, for companionship. And that takes tons of different forms, but you were created for that. A companionship and partnership in general, they don't need to be sexual to be fulfilling. And that should be obvious. But the way that culture is going these days, and has been going for at least the last 20 some odd years, I think that that's a message that we need to hear and that the church needs to champion this message. I think one difficulty that males, Christian males, maybe just males in general, but especially Christian males face today, is this cultural pressure to try to sexualize any meaningful relationship, even meaningful relationships between males. So if two guys are really good friends, it feels as if certain vocal pockets of culture, right? Certain vocal pockets of broader culture have to urge for those two to actually be more than just friends. How many of you are fans of the uh, Marvel movies or have seen some of those? Okay, a few of those, right? Hey, Bree, you're in the men's class. We'll pause the recording. So, show of hands, how many of y'all are friends or fans of the uh, Marvel movies or at least familiar with some of those? Thanks, Bree. Your vote doesn't count. All right. Captain America and the Winter Soldier, they're good friends. 
But there's twisted pockets of the internet that want to see these guys be more than just friends, right? That's a good example. Batman and Robin, give a throwback for a few decades later. Yeah, same kind of thing. There's twisted pockets that want to see these guys be more than partners, as in, in the sense of business partners. Okay? If this happens in biblical studies too, be careful when you do this. But if you do a Google search for the relationship between King David and Jonathan, there's some pretty twisted stuff that people have come up with for these two guys as well. The pressure's there, and here's the problem. I think that this frustrating cultural non-Christian pressure to sexualize male friendships actually damages male friendships. It damages male friendships. I think that the church, especially, needs to be able to champion that we can be strong, good, close friends, companions, in a sense, without needing it to go into this other realm of sexuality, without perverting sexuality. So, as one review, let me ask this. What are the key ingredients to deep and meaningful relationships? What do you think? Let's hear some things. What are the, some of the key ingredients to deep and meaningful relationships? Transparency. Transparency. Great. Yeah. Time. Good. Shared interests. Shared interests. Yeah. Anybody else? Key ingredients to Honesty. deep and meaningful relationships. Honesty. Honesty. Integrity. Honesty. Integrity. Shared experiences. Shared interests. Similar to that, Charles. Anybody else? Balance. Balance. Okay. Maybe something along the lines of like healthy boundaries or whatever. See, buddy. Patience. Patience. Ooh, yeah. Very much uh, included with time, too. Yeah. Anybody else? Key ingredients to healthy and meaningful relationships. A lot of times, yeah. Carrie was channeling his inner Tim Allen over there. <laughs> yeah. He Trust. Tim, there we go. Yeah. Trust, openness, vulnerability, shared experiences. Okay, right. Openness. And again, this is review. Openness doesn't mean always having to share everything you think about anything. Okay? There are some times when your brain is telling you, shut up, don't say it. That is actually the Holy Spirit telling you, shut up, don't say it. Now is not the time to point out that thing that your wife forgot to do when she is mad at X, Y, and Z. Shut up, don't say it. Allow God's grace to flow through you. Because God knows you've received that grace from somebody else before, right? Yeah, okay, we get it. We get it. But if something makes you feel anger or shame or fear or sadness or anything like that, if something makes you feel that, but you pretend like you don't actually feel that, right? If you pretend like you don't actually feel that, ultimately... You are lying to yourself. You are lying to yourself, which can have very severe, long-term damaging effects. Basically... I think trust yeah, Charles. Is, a, is a huge factor. Absolutely. Trust is essential. 
won't be betrayed. Uh, you know, you'll, I'll put it back in, in terms of going hunting, going fishing. I trust somebody. It's not going to go spread out by telling, okay, you can go over here. I trust him that he will not tell six or eight or four of his friends. Mm -hmm. That's just one, just one example. Just one example. Uh, yeah. You trust that he won't, he won't spread out what he, uh, others don't need to know, whether it's whatever it's about. Yeah. Personal problems, uh, family stuff. They just don't need to go no further. Yep. If we refuse to admit that you feel whatever it is, fear, anger, shame, sadness, loneliness, like we talked about last week, if you refuse to admit that you feel that, you are lying to yourself and you are refusing to give yourself room to grow, stunting that growth, emotional, spiritual growth, stunting that growth Stunning one d leads to stunting the other. And by, de by denying the pain that we may feel, especially for past mistakes or unreciprocated love, whether from parents or a spouse or kids or friends or whatever, denying all of that, bottling all of that up, what does that lead to? What can that lead to? <laughs> Heart attack. Isolation. Yeah. Isolation, anxiety. Mental health. <laughs> uh, what did you say, Joe? Depression? Depression, yeah. Mental, uh, mental health problems in general? Heart attack. I like that, Don. Which is, and especially with that kind of stuff, too, sometimes your body can feel so much mental stress that it, your body just physically says, okay, I'm, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. That actually happens. That kind of stress can trigger other physiological, very much so, medical yep. conditions. Yep. I mentioned one time a uh, a former family member, somebody associated with our family long ago. Um, they have since divorced, and so she's no longer a part of our family. Um, just built up resentment for years and years, and it. It made her clinically not insane, but it was close. She hated, hated my older brother. Hated him. And it messed her up bad. And my older brother kind of wandered his way through trying to figure out how to solve the hurt and eventually did it in a much less self-destructive way and is doing very well and has been doing very well for 10 plus years but this woman hated my brother and it wasn't until just a few years ago that i was talking to my nephew his mom and he said yeah mom's doing really well she's she's level-headed she's off her meds it's like a totally different person praise god the other thing is, sometimes what goes around comes around. Man, Time yeah. <laughs> Time wounds all heals. That is an interesting way to turn that around. Yeah. Guys, Joe will be here all week. <laughs> Bottom line to kind of wrap up this uh, review session here is, 
God didn't create you to be a lone wolf. He created you to have meaningful relationships with other people. If it is His will for that to be a spouse, great, praise God. But definitely it is His will for you to have meaningful friendships. Meaningful friendships, meaningful relationships. You are valuable because God has already made, said you are valuable because you're created in His image. You're not valuable because of your paycheck, right? You're valuable for, for stuff other than that. You were already valuable before you even started providing for your family. You were already valuable. You were already meaningful because you're created in God's image. <laughs> yeah, paycheck doesn't matter. Tony, you can take a week off, man. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to, you know, my, my dad passed away when I was in my mid 20s. And I'm, I'm 44 now, but we were really close, you know, me and my dad. So when I got married, you know, my, my dad was like an outlet outside of my wife. I would talk to her about things. But like some years later, a lot of years later, it really started hitting me. Like, I just break out and start crying out of nowhere. And yeah. I didn't really didn't have any emotions at first when he first passed away because I had an understanding. He always told me, you know, I'm headed to heaven, you know, headed to paradise. And I had a good understanding of where he, you know, is. But, you know, later on, it really started dawning on me that I, I need, I need yeah. that relationship with some somebody. You know, he's not here, but I relied on God and the scriptures, and I did a lot of preaching and teaching and then things like that and helping the brothers. But I never really built that relationship. One day, I think it kind of got kind of bad with me and my wife because I would tell her everything. From work things all the way down. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Every day until she's... Sure, yeah. <laughs> it was just too much, yeah. you know. Like, you know, I needed I needed other people to talk to. We moved around so much, I, could, I didn't have a father figure, you know. Yeah. Someone to really grab a hold to. And did moving around so much make it hard to have close friendships? It did. Okay. It did. I, I could never really feel that because work would move you here and there. And phone calls and Skype or whatever doesn't really work if you're not close. Physically. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, but I, I think it, it put a strain on my marriage not having brothers yeah. in Christ to come to. And, and especially older brothers in Christ. Because I look for that. Sometimes I'll talk to some guys here. Yeah. I'll, I'll sit there and talk because I really, you know, uh, need that, you know. So, uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's definitely needed. I think that's why God had, you know, elders and deacons and all these things in the church. And sometimes you have someone you click with, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it may not be someone you so click with, click with, but over time you build a respect for one another and a trust in one another. Yeah. Confidentiality issue. I think that what Tony's given us here is a great segue into what I want to talk about for the next. We'll, we'll, go over, we'll go over just a few minutes. I think the other classes will probably go over for a few minutes too. What are some specific times in Scripture when God is sad? Don't answer the question, why was God sad? But what are, when are some specific times in Scripture when God is sad? We think God was grieved with the sinfulness there. Yeah. Moses was on the mountain. Moses is on the mountain, and God sees what the people are doing. Yeah. You leave for five days, or whatever, and you come look what they've done. Yeah. He was saddened that he had made man. 
Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 6. Quick Bible review. God creates the world, chapters 1 and 2. Things are perfect. Well, things are optimal. God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be by himself. He creates a woman, a helper corresponding to him, and they are created in his image basically to be his commissioned representatives to rule the earth in the way that God would want them to rule. And as the representatives, they're sort of ruling in his, on his behalf or maybe ruling alongside God. So here's Adam and Eve co-ruling with God. We get to Genesis 3, there's disobedience. There's a destruction of a relationship there. And then what happens is humans continue to be the architects of their own self-destruction. And we get to Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Take a look at the very last part of verse 6 there. What do y'all's uh, translations say? Mine says grieved. Anybody said anything different? Heart was deeply troubled. Heart was deeply troubled. Deeply troubled. Grieved. William's got it in his head. Or, I see your phone right there. <laughs> Anybody else? Last part of verse 6. Deeply troubled. Deeply troubled. We get the idea here. God is, God is sad. Turn with me to Psalm 78. No. I'm not going to cover those guys. Yeah. <laughs> no. Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, start in verse 32. You can uh, turn or type. This is about the Israelites in the desert. So Carrie just mentioned Moses earlier. Start in verse 32. Verse 40 is the, is the kicker that I want us to get to here in just a second. In spite of all this, they still sinned. They did not believe in his wonders. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought for them. God finally punishes them to stop them from doing what they're doing. Verse 34. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him, and they were not true to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Often he restrained his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not come again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness, and it grieved him in the desert. The word for grieve here in Psalm 78 verse 40 is the same Hebrew word as the word for grieved back in Genesis 6. Still, this creation that God has put together 
and given lovingly and graciously given to people was continually corrupted and perverted and destroyed and murdered in Genesis 6 and it grieved him this new creation that God began by drawing his people out of slavery out of Egypt passing them through water bringing them to the foot of the mountain there in God's presence still they perverted and corrupted and destroyed and murdered one another and treated each other the same way that they were treating each other back in Genesis 6 and God is still grieved same word what's the time what's perhaps one of the most one of the times it stands out most when Jesus grieves or when Jesus is sad Lazarus's death Lazarus's death here's what I want us to notice as we quickly round out our time together today Yeah. And he sat there and picked him, knowing. And let him proceed to his own demise yeah. or fault. Yeah. That had to be terribly disappointing, grievous. I, what incredible integrity that Jesus demonstrates there when knowing Judas is going to betray him, I bet we can bank on Jesus still treated Judas the same way that he treated the other disciples didn't treat him differently if you know there's a rat in your group don't you try to kind of cut them out right jesus least, didn't do that you start kinda, slowly you start trying to edge them out a little bit but jesus didn't do that He knew it. This, this, man, that had to be really heavy the whole time. Yeah. How could you enjoy 33 years? Yeah. It's marching that way. I'm amazed by, sorry to interrupt. Next verse 41, he goes on again and again. They yeah. God to the test. They had the audacity to be testing God. Right. How much can we get away with? Where is God going to draw the line on us? Every time in the past when he drew the line, like they still don't learn. Yeah, still having trouble. What does it take for you to believe? Look at these these times that we've looked at in Scripture here: Genesis six, uh, Psalm seventy-eight, uh, John chapter eleven, where Jesus weeps at Lazarus's death. Have you noticed that these times that we've mentioned here in the Bible deal? with the, the rupture or the breaking of some relationship. God's not mad because, right? God's not just mad because they're, they're breaking his stuff, right? <laughs> Please don't scratch my car with your baseball bat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> don't break the window in the house. Don't throw rocks. It's not that kind of stuff. God's not mad at them because they're going to break his stuff. God's, God's sad, God's grieved, Jesus is grieved because there has been some relationship that has been ruptured in some way. The grief is due to a loss, 
some loss or breach of an especially meaningful relationship, guys, if, if God is willing to bear his heart like this, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be willing? Is God weak? Was Jesus weak? Knowing what was going to happen to him and he stepped right up to the plate and, and took it anyway? Is that weakness? It was a kind of strength that is very hard to come by these days. Of course it isn't easy. Of course it isn't easy to do this. But if there's one thing I know about how God works, it's that there's transformation in the struggle. Sadness tells us that we truly honored the person or the relationship we lost. You were sad when your father passed away. It's because you loved him and you honored him. I preached last month about the death of my nephew, my wife's brother's son, Elijah was his name. Not much of a relationship that we had with him, but he was part of the family. He was a treasured member of the family, right? First grandchild on my in-law's side. We got two hours with him. And in that, that time, we honored him with our sadness. Our sadness tells us when you are sad about something like a relationship that's lost, it tells you that you truly honored that person. Now, is there a difference between sadness and self-pity? I think so. I think self-pity, the way the author defines it, uh, the author of the book that I've been using, self-pity can be a way to manipulate others. Instead of me acknowledging the sadness that I feel for the loss that I've experienced, I'm going to hide it and I'm going to try to control you so you'll feel sorry for me. The problem is, if I continue to hide it and I'm unwilling to open up about it, we just mentioned a few minutes ago what that turns into. Depression, anxiety, mental health issues, heart attack. It totally drives you down. It beats you up. Very much so. Very much so. Joe. Uh, somebody said once, allegedly it was Queen Elizabeth, but who knows, uh, that grief is the price we pay for love. Grief is the, the price, price we pay, pay for love. It is better to have loved and lost than loved never to have loved at all. There's a, I mentioned the Marvel movies earlier. There's a great line from one of those characters. It says, what is grief if not love persevering? I'm going to read this for us really quickly. And then we had a lot of other things that I had to cut out of class here. But I'm going to read this for us quickly. And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. This is from the author. This is a couple of pages from the book I've put this class together from. The author says, A couple of years ago, my friend's mother died of cancer. 
She lived two years after her initial diagnosis. I'd known her since I was seven. Five minutes before she died, she spoke to her husband. We've had a good life together, two children, healthy grandchildren. I always loved you before you even knew. I can't hang on anymore. Let me go. He did. He loved her deeply. She died. In his willingness to feel all of his sadness by letting her go, he was truly able to value her completely. He also valued the love he had for her. The day of her funeral, I waited in line for more than an hour and a half just to get into the funeral home to see the family. Many people came to grieve the death of this woman and honor her life. This lady, mother, wife, was in no clubs. She wasn't written up in the newspaper until her obituary. She spoke at no banquets, held no positions of power, yet when she died, I could hardly get into the building to say goodbye. I remember the beauty of her life and how easily she could laugh at our childhood antics. I also remember her willingness to make chocolate chip cookies. She loved and was known simply for love. She loved living. I cry even now at her memory. I value her and miss her, and I'm glad I can. Life is not a dress rehearsal for some day when it will become real. We are living our lives now, not practicing for a life to come. We need to be willing to value openly and have deep sadness. We need to write poems and songs. We need to send letters to our children at the occasions of their milestones, raise grandchildren for the stars, uh, for, for, uh, raise grandchildren to the stars for God to see, hug our friends and tell them how much we love them. We need to take time to visit on the porch with someone who dropped by, visit old friends we've been meaning to see, get up early and listen to God whisper glorious things as the sun rises. And we need to grieve deeply when people we love depart or when what we dream doesn't come true. We cannot delight deeply in anything or anyone unless we are willing to walk in the world of sadness. Sadness allows the intimacy and impact of love to be much richer because it exposes the heart to its true ability to value and honor. What are you sad about? What wound has been unable to heal because of the sadness you aren't feeling? What sadness is in your life that you fight against? What have you been dreaming of doing that you haven't risked? because of what you might lose. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, on a day like today where we celebrate, we celebrate mothers, we also realize that there are mothers who are no longer with us. We realize there are many who are no longer witness we, with us. We realize there are many relationships that we lose over the years, whether by our choice, by happenstance, or by their choice. 
May we honor those relationships with our sadness. And may our sadness be a gift that leads us to healing and acceptance that not in this world, but as in the world to come, you will make all things right. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who showed us how to feel extreme sorrow and sadness and still do the next faithful thing. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys.